Okay, we are back. My last guest is uh, standing by to join us. She's the co-author of The Path. Good morning, Christine. Good morning. How do you pronounce your last name? Christine Grosslow? Um, Grosslow. Perfect. I know we only have 10 minutes, so could you tell me how you got involved in writing this really interesting book? Um, let's see. So I'm a, I actually have a PhD in East Asian history, um, from Harvard where Michael Pewitt teaches. Um, but, um, you know, I actually wrote an article about this, about his course because I was, um, a journalist, um, and I was writing about it for the Atlantic and then it turned into this, you know, that the piece was very popular because people were really intrigued by the fact that, a course on Chinese philosophy was one of the most popular courses at Harvard um, by far. And so that article turned into a book, a collaboration between um, the professor, you know, Michael Pewitt and me. I thought it was really interesting how uh, the administration thought that they would barely get 100 students and then they had like 700. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there was, they they just weren't, you know, they weren't even really all that... um, the the course um, was not thought to have much promise, I think. Um, but every time it was offered, the halls were overflowing, and so um, they gave him finally the biggest venue on campus. Amazing. So let's talk about. I know we don't have much time, but tell me. Yeah, I'm you, so sorry about that's that. okay. That's okay. Tell <laughs> me about the premise of the book because it's about looking back at the you know these philosophers uh, and and the mm-hmm. wisdom they could bring to present day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is what's most intriguing because I think, you know, a lot of people tune out when they think philosophy or, or they think it's something really obscure and something sort of abstract. And actually, what's really fascinating about these Chinese philosophers that we focus on is that they were really concerned with the things that we can do in our everyday life. In fact, that's all that really matters is what we do every day because it's our actions every day that form, you know, that 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 transform our lives. You know, we think of them as small. We think of daily actions as sort of small things that don't really count um, in the long run, but actually those build and those are what create, you know, fulfilling lives. And that is the premise of these philosophers. That's the premise of the book as well. I I thought it was so fascinating how uh, you talk about all these philosophers, how ironically they were all having the same thought processes. I mean, this is the time of no email and <laughs> no electronic right, communication. I, <laughs> I think that was so interesting. Yeah, that that's true. So we talk in the beginning of the book a little bit about how there was an age of philosophy in which um, similar sorts of ideas arose all around the world. And no, they weren't. They, there was no email. They had no mm-hmm. way of traveling. They didn't even, you know, know, know each other, these philosophers. That's that's people in Greece, people in India, people in China, but they were all struggling with similar societal problems, um, sort of like an, it was an age of strife and upheaval and um, social change. And it's at times like these that I think people do question, well, what are we on this earth for and how can we make our world better? Right. You know, when I first looked at this book, I thought, oh, am I going to be able to understand this and get this? <laughs> and then I was like riveted. And I hadn't heard of some of the things like the Axial Age. Could you describe mm-hmm. what that is to listeners? Yeah, so the Axial Age is this age, you know, of philosophy when, when very similar ideas arose in um, India with the Buddha and in Greece with Aristotle and um, in, in the, North China, the um, northern China plain that we talk about where these philosophers um, all 
came from, and it really is a period in which, you know, you're seeing the, a, a sort of transformation from an age where aristocracy ruled to an age where it's sort of believed that everyone has an equal, has some sort of opportunity to make their lives different, to um, make their lives better. And I think that it's really um, a great parallel for the age we're living in now in which I think a lot of people question what our society is like and what they can be doing to change it or, you know, make things better, not just in their own personal lives, but in the world as a whole. So I think that is one reason why these ideas have such resonance with these students and why, um, you know, our book came about to be at all. Right. What are some things you're hearing uh, people are saying about this book, some praise? I think, you know, one of the things that they they do say is similar to what you said, which is, you know, they, they didn't expect to find... Chinese philosophy to be accessible um, or even engaging, really. Um, but people, you know, I've, I've heard from people who have actually made changes in their lives, and they attribute that to a sort of different mindset that they acquire after they read the book and learn about these ideas. I know of a woman who, you know, changed her career in midlife um, completely, um, she, she told me, due to learning that there is a different way to go about um, living your life, making changes, and thinking about how to make decisions and so forth. There's a lot that applies to anyone. There's a section in here uh, that talks about, let's say you're a parent and your three children are acting up. Instead of you flipping, flipping out, try to understand maybe why they're quarreling, what's going on with them. Try, it's, you know, some empathy, and, tr- and your tone yeah. affects everything. Yeah, you know, that's a great example to bring up because it's sort of an example of something that I think we kind of know common sense-wise, but it's so hard to put it into practice. Oh, yes. And I think that what these philosophers do um, is sort of really emphasize the benefits of seeing the big picture and sort of being able to understand everything that's going on in a situation, whether it's at work, with your family, in an interpersonal relationship or whatever. And when you understand that what motivates people is not just what you see on the surface, but so many things that people are reacting to and responding to, then I think that you become more able to see, well, you know, you become more able to respond from that place where you're seeing the big picture rather than sort of responding to what you see in front of you the way that I think a lot of us tend to do by default. Right. What's interesting about this book also is because my the theme of my show is Get the Funk Out. And so we all go through these yeah. ups and downs. And do you feel like, I mean, I can see that this book would be very uplifting for people that have are facing uncertainty uncertainty. Yes, that is definitely the hope. It's definitely my hope that um, this book can sort of show us that, you know, uncertainty is what life is all about, really. I mean, we, whether we think things are sort of set in stone or not or, or going well, it, it, we all know that the reality is that life changes quickly, just like that, and or slowly, but it's, it's not really certain. And I think that what these philosophers did was say, you know, it's not certain, and that's where the beauty of it lies, because we can always then sort of have a fresh start, do something to change the next moment, you know, instead of sort of falling into a place of despair about that. Yes. And I like how you talk about you can make subtle adjustments to the way you move through your day, and then more dramatic changes can come about. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that that is, um, you know, one take-home message I hope that people will um, will think of when they think of this book is that we can make changes in our lives at every moment with every little thing that we do. Where can people find out more about you? Well, um, they can go to my website, which is um, christinegrosslow.com. They can look for the book on Amazon, The Path. We also have... Um, um, a website for the book itself, thepassbook.com. I found it interesting. Can you talk about the title of this book before we wrap up? Oh, yeah. So the title is actually a sort of play on The Way, which you may or may not have heard of, um, yes. The Tao, The Way, which is um, which I think in the West we commonly interpret as some way that's out there that we're aspiring to, some ideal. Mm-hmm. And instead, the idea is really, no, it's a path or a way that we're forging with every step we take. And so we can change that path at every moment. Uh, this has been amazing. I know we've been really quick on time. So if you want to <laughs> I come know, back. I know. I'm so sorry. That was no, my fault. I'm no, really sorry okay. about that. Maybe you'll come back another time. <laughs> I'd love to come yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, I know you're on. It was on, great to talk to you. Oh, you too. <laughs> you on Twitter? At, uh, is it Gross Low? Yes, Gross Low with no hyphen. Yep. Perfect. I'm there. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in. I know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoy talking. Such a pleasure. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. That was Christine Grosslow calling in to talk about her book, The Path. If you missed any part of this segment, it will be up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. That's a wrap for me. Sheldon Abbott is standing by to join us with Cure for the Blues, and I'll leave you with the tail end. Or actually, I'll just uh, put on another one of Jake's songs, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. This is phenomenal. He was on the show at the top of the hour. Have a great day, everyone. Have a great week, and I'll be back next Monday.